I, I forgot, forgot to show that video in the 8.30 service, and um, Miss Tammy Huggins has been such a, a blessing to our church, uh, to my family, just a sweet, sweet lady. Uh, if you know her, she is very opinionated and to the point, but uh, I love Miss Tammy Huggins. She's just such a dear, sweet lady. So thank you for being here. I didn't say much of this uh, in the introductions and the welcoming, uh, but uh, if you were a part of the Trunk or Treat this past weekend, last Sunday night, uh, thank you so much. Uh, I don't know uh, much more. I haven't heard a lot of negative on it, but there was a lot of cars. It was a long line, and uh, but at the same time, that is okay. I feel that even in uh, what we thought we wanted to do a little bit quicker in the line, I feel like we did exactly what Oasis does, which is individually love people. And so each kid that got a piece of candy was individually given a piece of candy. It wasn't here you go and rush through. And so uh, we literally, if you know the property at all, we... Uh, we, had, we had cars lined up around the doctor's office, all the way to the back. Arroyo Grande is over here. It went all the way past Arroyo Grande, or back into Arroyo Grande, into the, the neighborhood. And that wraps around, and there's a park in the far end of that neighborhood. And it goes, and so uh, that's kind of where it was. It was a really long line. And, uh, but we served over 400 kids pieces of candy, about 275 or so cars. And uh, that's about... 25,000 pieces of candy. So uh, thank you for those that were able to be there and participate, for those that prayed. Uh, it was a great night for what it was, and a little bit different than what we normally do at this time, but uh, uh, either way, we loved on our neighborhood in, in, a, in a great, great manner. I'm excited to continue the series and influence uh, and this morning, it's really, in, in many ways, it's almost just a continuation of last week. If you were with us, I made the statement that God, that we don't get, well, really, Mike made the statement, we don't get to choose, it's God that chooses. And so, um, so many times we look at that and we look at our best friends and we look at our spouse or we look at um, somebody else that may have influence in our lives and really we would think sometimes that, wow, we just kind of, we, we were at the right place at the right time or, you know, we chose that person. Like that was, well, God chooses and God chooses to, to put people in our lives. God also chooses where you will be and, uh, and how we use that influence is, is really up to us. And so last week we looked at the Hebrew boys, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were, uh, they were boys that never really should have been where they were, but that's where God had them, and God placed them there. And when they were willing to stand before the king and say, no, we will not bow, uh, God said that he would throw them in the fire. And as he did, we know the story, as we talked about last week, that, that, that King Nebuchadnezzar had a change of heart uh, to the end of that. And so, uh, but God places us, in, in people's lives, God paces people in our lives, and he puts us in specific locations for such a time as this. And so in Deuteronomy chapter number 31, I'm going to read this passage of scripture. And in Deuteronomy 31, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. And this people will rise up and go a-whoring after the gods of the strangers of the land, whither they go to be among them and will forsake me. And break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be kindled against them in that day. And I will forsake them. 
excuse me, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Are not these evils come upon us? Because our God is not among us, and I will surely hide my face in that day for all the evils which they shall have wrought, in that they are turned unto other gods. God's face and what we're looking at here in Deuteronomy is that that there were times when the children of Israel would decide to do their own thing and God would hide his face from them. God had taken years and he had kept them hidden. And really, as we look, we're going to be in the book of Esther and, and, and we're coming to a place where some of that exact thing has, has taken place. In the book of Esther, there is not one time that the word God is mentioned. The word God, Elohim, Jehovah, Shaddai, Adonai are all words that are used throughout the Old Testament to speak to who God is. And not one time in Esther is the word God mentioned. The Persian king is mentioned 192 times in 167 verses. His kingdom is mentioned 26 times. His name personally is mentioned 29 times. But yet God's name and God is not mentioned one time. God had warned that that would happen. That the children of Israel would leave, that they would do their own thing, and that God would hide His face from them. And we're coming into a time in history where some of that has taken place. There was a group of people, there was a king, and there was others that, were, uh, that they hated the children of Israel. And they were at the place right there, what we're looking at in Esther, we'll come into is where they decide to get to a place where they're going to exterminate, get rid of all of the children of Israel. Historically speaking, it was almost a half century prior to this time in Esther where the Persian king had told and proclaimed to the children of Israel to go back to Palestine. You can go back home, get out of here, go back, and most of which never chose to go back. And so they stood and they sat where they were, and the things that took place were because of, oftentimes, their uh, disregard. In Exodus, it speaks of that even the, the hoof would be left behind. In Exodus, it says, yet hardly any of them would respond and go back. They found comfort right where they are and that the comfort where they were was easier than going back to Palestine. Have you ever been in a place where it's e- the comfort of where you are is easier than maybe dealing with something that you know you need to deal with? I know I've been there a lot. So that was really a lot of what was going on here. And as we look at this passage and we look at the book of Esther this morning, I want us to stop and think again, for such a time as this is this, this, the title of the sermon, and we're looking at influence. And so we get into Esther chapter 1, and in Esther chapter 1, we're going to come into, and in, uh, uh, we've got a king, King Ahasuerus, sorry, had been defeated. So the king had lost a battle, but yet in the midst of this, he comes back and he begins to pull all of the leaders, everybody from around the, the areas, and he brings them all into one place, and they're about to celebrate. He's going to let everybody know how wealthy he is, how awesome that he is, how powerful that he is, and for the next six months, they're going to have a celebration, a party. That is quite a party. I'm not much of a party guy. I don't know if I could party for six months. I don't know if I could go without work for six months because I would get bored and I would want something to do. But 
Six months. And it says in verse number three, And in the third year of his reign, he made a feast unto all of his princes, his servants, the power of Persia and Media, the nobles and princes of the princes of the provinces being before him. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty many days, even a hundred and fourscore days. Again, a six-month party. But it was after just a week of drinking, it says in verse number 10, And on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry, or he was drunk with wine, he commanded, and I'm going to skip over this because I'm going to butcher the names, to bring Vashti, I, I said this in the first one. I should have just started right here. He commanded them to bring Vashti the queen before the king with the crown royal to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was fair to look on. But the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore was the king very wroth and his anger burned in him. So again, for such a time, God chooses people to be in a specific place for a specific reason because God has a plan. So God chose Vashti, Queen Vashti, not, a, not some woman that was loving Jesus, not somebody that was just faithful to God, but Queen Vashti stood up to the king on that particular time and said, listen, I am not going to stand before all of these people because you want me to. Now, that was pretty much a death sentence. But the queen was asked to come in. And the queen was asked in that moment by the king. And he was going to say, look at all that I have. Look at how much money I have. Look at how powerful I am. Look at all of these things. And then look at this woman. Look how amazing that she is. And she said, no. And it was at this point that the king, it says, becomes angry and the anger burned within him because she said, no, I will not. Can you imagine the king in front of all of the people of the provinces and all of the leaders? And he's like, and here's my queen. And here's my... He was made a fool. He was angry. Because she would not do what he had asked. And so because of that, the king gets angry and he pulls everybody together and they, they make this decree and that decree was that the queen, there would be a divorce and that she would never come back in. She would never come back in. See, it was Queen's, Queen Vashti's willingness to stand up to say no that would lead to the king's anger and rage that would lead to divorce, which would lead us to chapter number two. And in chapter number two, at the very beginning, it says, after these things, we're looking about two years now have passed. After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done. So now after two years had gone, he now remembers this queen, his wife, this beautiful queen that he had. And she came back to his mind and he goes back to the men and he says, Hey, I, I miss Queen Vashti. And they all look at him and basically, you're out of luck. Hey, don't you remember you set this decree that she could never come back? And so they said here, we're looking at this, and then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, let there be 
fair young virgins sought for the king. Hey, she cannot come back in here. And because she cannot become, come back in here, why don't we do this? Why don't we go and we'll grab, we'll grab some uh, beautiful young ladies, some beautiful virgins, and we'll bring them to you. And you can choose which one of them that would be your next queen. That's a great idea. Go. So after all these couple years, these men go out and they bring in the women. And this is not some uh, beauty pageant that you and I would think of that we would see on TV, Miss America or whatever it is. These women were not women that desired. It said in some of my study, it said that, that many of these women would actually go and their families would hide them so that they would not have to come before the king. Because this was, a, this was not just you going and looking pretty. This was so much more than that. They would be uh, trained and taught and they would sh- how to look and how to dress and how to act and what to do and all of these things before the king. And their, their families would hide them oftentimes. And we see this because they did not want to be the property of the king. And here we see all of these ladies coming. This morning, I, as we get into this book, and we get into this passage, the wrath of a king, the decree that was set, going to get these other people, Queen Vashti's willingness to be bold, I I say to you today, we all understand this and we're all aware of this, but all of us are in circumstances and situations. Sometimes it's because of our own decisions. Others, it's just because that's where God has us. And I want to challenge us today that God has you right you right where He wants you. There's nothing that has come to surprise or to surprise God that where you sit today is an accident. Whether this is your first time or you've been like Miss Huggins 50 plus years at Oasis Baptist Church, it's not an accident that we sit in this room together. It's not an accident that you work where you work. It's not an accident that the circumstances of your family are the circumstances of your family. It's not an accident that these things have taken place. It's not an accident that your best friend is your best friend. It's not an accident that all of these things are taking place. God has ordained things in all of our lives for such a time as this, whatever this is. And so this morning as we dive into this passage... I want us to think through and I want us to look at this and look at your influence. Because it could be something as random as Queen Vashti saying no and spinning everything into this whirlwind that nobody expected. It could be something as what we would call as normal as you coming to church on a Sunday morning. But God has specific things for each of us every single day of our lives, but how do we respond and what will we do with it? In Esther chapter 4, I'm going to read this passage of Scripture, which is really kind of the, uh, the nugget of the title here. Verses number 12 through 17. And it says this, And they told to Mordecai Esther's words, Then Mordecai 
commanded to, to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther bade them return, Mordecai, this answer, Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Father, I come to you. And Lord, this passage of Scripture is one that many of us know. We know the story of Esther. We know the, <clears throat> the, the things that have taken place. But God, I pray. <coughs> Excuse me. I pray, Lord, that we would open our hearts and our minds to you. I pray, God, that right where we are, wherever that is, that we would be willing and able to be used by you. Lord, Esther was not in a, a great situation, but yet she chose to do right. She chose to walk and do the right thing. And God, you showed up by giving her favor. You showed up by giving her a voice. You showed up. And so God, would you allow us this morning, to take some of those applicable pieces and apply them where they can be in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So again, the title for such a time as this, the first thought is this, there's a Mordecai for you. See, in chapter number two, uh, the plan is in place for the ladies to begin to go in to see King uh, and in verse number seven, it said, and he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. Mordecai had taken Esther as his own after her parents had passed away. He was raising her. Uh, we might look at it and say, well, he happened to be in the right place at the right time. But no, Mordecai was in a specific place just for that specific moment. And as we look at this passage of Scripture in chapter number 2, we see that these ladies are coming and we see that they begin to get everybody and bringing them in together. And we see that Esther was one of them. See, I want to I hit this really quick. See, because Mordecai and Esther were not this family that was just the greatest of the greatest of families. They weren't in a very good position based upon their, their wealth and their stature, but they weren't really in a good position even spiritually. They weren't the ones that were the... They, they didn't go back home. They stayed where they were. They stayed in the comfort. They weren't the ones that were the, the most law-abiding, if you will, that were adhering to Moses' laws and doing those things. For what everything that we can look at, they were probably not like... You know, they weren't the every Sunday churchgoer. They were just a normal 
Jewish couple, not couple, but they were just a normal Jewish family that, that wasn't really over the top. They didn't do everything the way that they were supposed to do. But Mordecai told Esther this in verse number 10. Esther had not showed her people nor her kindred. So uh, for Mordecai had charged her that she should not show it. So Esther was told by Mordecai, hey, Esther, do not tell them who you are. Do not tell them that you are uh, of Jewish descent. Do not tell them of your lineage. Do not tell them of your family. Do not tell them those things. And so she does not. In verse number 11, we see then that Mordecai, it said, every day would pace in front of where the ladies were staying to keep up on Esther and her well-being. So Esther was now in the king's house. She was uh, living and staying with all the other women in the, in the area that they would stay Mordecai was in, as it says in 11, Mordecai was out front. He would walk, he would pace, he would make sure that Esther was okay. Can you just imagine? He's taken her in. He's dad. He's going out now and Esther is now over here and he's like, this is not a good situation. I'm fearful, I'm scared, I'm nervous. What's gonna happen to Esther? And I've promised to take care of this girl. I've promised to care for her and provide for her and protect her and now she's here. See, this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture and as we, as we dive in here, we begin to see, again, two people that never should be at the king's house. Right? Neither of them should be there. But yet God placed them right where they were. Mordecai was placed in a position to influence and impact Esther's life. I wonder... And I ask you this, whose life are you allowing God to use you to, to influence? As somebody that may be a little bit older and a little bit more wise or whatever it would be that you could then speak into someone in Esther's life. Maybe you're an Esther and you need to listen to a Mordecai. You need to recognize the love that they have for you. You need to listen to what they're sharing with you. But as we look at this and we continue in, Esther is coming to her time where it's about time for her to go in before the king. And in verse number 17, and the king loved Esther above all the women and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And if you continue to read this passage of scripture, it continues to go on and Mordecai has now found himself in a position where it's really almost, uh, again, an awkward thing where we would go, Why? Why is Mordecai now in verse number 19, it says at the end of verse number 19, and when the virgins were gathered together the second time, then Mordecai sat in the king's gates. Why is now Mordecai, this guy, why is he sitting where he's sitting? Who, who would allow him to be there? Again, nobody in Mordecai or Esther's situation really should be there. But yet God chose, God moved, God worked just in a time as this. And Mordecai begins to hear the stories of those around. The story was what? 
hey, someone's going to kill the king. Mordecai gets word that someone's going to kill the king. Mordecai takes it to Esther. Esther takes it up the chain of command. Again, the, the reality of influence that is had to save the king's life. Was the king a godly man? No. Was there a reason that God would want to save his life? This particular time that we would look at it and go, oh, he's a godly man. He is serving the Lord. He's doing right. No, all of those things weren't the case. But God had a plan, even in the midst of immorality, in the midst of vulgarity, in the midst of things that were not healthy, God still moved and God still had a plan behind the scenes. The simple thought of the first one is, that first point is, there's a Mordecai for you. There is somebody that's in your life or that desires to be in your life to speak into you, to encourage you, to do the right thing, to, to take that step or to not take that step or to go this place or to not go that place because they love you and they desire you, would desire for you to do right. Would you ignore them or will you accept that influence in your life? For such a time as this, there's a Mordecai for you. For such a time as this, you must stand up and speak. As we continue into chapter number three in the story, we see Haman now is in place and Haman is uh, becoming into great power and influence to the king. And Haman was an Agagite, uh, which is what it says in scripture, could mean that he came from the district or the empire known as Agag, or it could also mean that he was a descendant of Agag, the king of the Amalekites. But either way, we know this. They hated God and they desired that the Jews and the children of Israel be completely wiped off the face of the earth. So much so, in Deuteronomy 25, it is written that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, thou shalt not forget it. They didn't like each other. Haman is now plotting He's now using his position to speak to the king with the intention to destroy God's chosen people. Chapter 3, verses 8, in the beginning of chapter, or verse number 9, And Haman said unto king Ahasuerus, There is a certain people, the Jews, God's chosen people, scattered abroad, dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws, therefore it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. Haman takes it, he goes up to the king and he says, listen, there's a group of people that are scattered all over and they are not, uh, they are not like us, they are not following our laws, they are not doing this, they are not doing that. If it would please you, because they're not bowing at your feet, if it would please you, could we kill them? The king sets a decree, the decree to potentially kill off 10 to 15 million people Jews is the, is the estimation at that time that were scattered all across Persia. That decree would then get sent out into all of the provinces. It would find its way into every one of the leaders' hands in all of the provinces. And those men and those leaders would then begin to go into their people and begin to find them and to begin to take them out. And as it does, it finds its way into, King, or into Mordecai's hands. The beginning of chapter number four finds Mordecai tearing his clothes. It says that he rent his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud voice, a loud and bitter cry. 
he was mourning. He was scared. He was fearful. He didn't know what was taking place. And it says in verse number 3, There was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So the word gets out that the Jews are going to be killed. Mordecai, being a Jew, goes and he begins to tear his clothes, and he, he go, gets in his sackcloth and ashes, and he begins to mourn. The Jews are in their sackcloth and ash, and they are mourning, and they are weeping, and they are crying, and they are doing all of these things. In this random guy, Mordecai, who took in his niece Esther to be his father, or her father because her parents had passed, is now sitting holding a decree that says we're all going to die. He says what? Oh, wait. I know somebody that's over there. Whom God had given favor. Whom God had shown up. Who God had placed in a situation that should not have been there. Who God chose to place somewhere that they look at it and they would go, what in the world? Here's the reality. You have a woman or a girl that has no mom and dad. She has nothing except for the fact apparently that she is a beautiful woman. And she finds herself in the king's house. She finds herself with favor. And so in chapter number four, we see Mordecai goes to Esther through hate Haditch. And Esther and Mordecai are going back and forth over how this and what's going on, and it comes down to it in verses 15 and 6, or in verses 12 and 13, 14 that I read. And they told Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded. So Mordecai speaks back and says to Esther, Think not with thyself that there thou shalt escape. Do you think that you are going to leave? Do you think that because you are a Jew up in the house that you're going to survive? Do you not think that it's going to Get it, it's going to make its way all the way up to you. You're going to die. But what about this? What if you were placed right in that situation? What if you were placed in the kingdom for such a time as this? And I would ask you, what if God is not as dumb as sometimes we think He is, and God actually has a purpose, and God actually has a plan, and for you moving to Vegas, or for you finding the job that you found, or for you living in the neighborhood that you live in, or for you being exactly where you are, God hasn't lost His mind. God has a plan that you're in the kingdom right where you're supposed to be, but will we do something about it? I get sick and tired of hearing people, believers, say, I hate Las Vegas. I don't know why I'm in Las Vegas. I don't know why you're in Las Vegas. But here's what I know. God's not dumb and didn't lose his mind. You as a believer are here for one reason. And it might just be that one reason. It may be for you to go find yourself in the middle of a desert to find him again. It might also be that he has you here for the neighbor that's beside you or the person that's across the hall from you at the apartment complex or whatever it is or the person at the other, the, the, 
the cubicle beside you that needs you to be their friend to show them the love of Jesus Christ? I don't know. I don't know. But I know this. God hasn't lost his mind. He hasn't forgot about you. He hasn't forgot about us as a country. He hasn't forgot about anything. But sometimes we're just way too comfortable. Esther could have been very comfortable. Hey, Mordecai, I don't know about you, but there isn't one person up in this place that has any clue that I am a, I'm a, I, the lineage that I have, I'm a Jew. That, there's nobody that knows that. I'm good. Because no one will know. And I'm really comfortable right where I'm at. Mordecai, thanks for all that you did. I love you, but I'm all right. But we see in verse number 16, Esther's response is this. And I think this has to be our response a little bit more often. She says, go, gather all the Jews that are present in Shishan and fast ye for me, neither drink or neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. If I perish, I perish. She says, hey, go. Gather all the Jews. Gather everybody that you can. Bring them together. Let them know that you need to fast for me because here's what I'm about to do. I'm about to go, and I'm going to stand before the king, and I don't know what that's going to look like, but I know this much, that if I die, I die. Do you remember last week, what did they say? The three Hebrew boys said what? If I go, and I die, then I die, but I believe that my God is God, that he will save me. But if he doesn't, I will never bow before you. Here we see Esther basically saying something very similar. You need to go and you need to pray and you need to fast. And here we're going to pray and we're going to fast. And in chapter number 5, at the very beginning of chapter number 5, and it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel, stood in the inner court of the king's house, over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house, over against the gate of the house. And it was so, when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court, what could have happened? Dead. But what does it say? God's word says something completely different. If I can find my place again. Esther, the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight and the king held out the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near, touched the top of the scepter. That said that the king said, hey, I found favor in you. Here's the scepter. You're now welcome to come face to face and meet with me. Listen, this morning... I'm not getting into all the nuts and the bolts of all of that conversation over the next couple chapters, as we'll see. But what we see is this. Esther was willing to take the leap and to stand where she ought not stand because it was the right thing to do. Because her influence placed her right where she was placed. You know, sometimes in my life, I'm just so comfortable 
And I don't know what we're comfortable. I don't I really I really 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 honestly don't understand what the comfort level is that we are what we are afraid of to stand and speak and do the right thing sometimes. We're so worried if somebody might not like us. We're worried if somebody might not think this or that of us. We're, we're worried about whatever it is, but the reality is I, I, I do not believe that there's ever been a time in my life when I genuinely felt that God was telling me to go and do something or say something where I ever left the situation and I was like, oh man, I wish I never would have done that. Have you ever shared the gospel with somebody and left the situation, whether they came to Christ or they didn't come to Christ, where you're like, man, sure wish I'd never done that? No. Even if they don't know Christ, you leave going, one, you're hurt if they don't come, but your faith is strengthened. You are, you're built up. You have a a confidence. You have whatever it is that you say, hey, hey, that wasn't too bad. And I did what was right. You know, I I believe with everything in me. I say this all the time. I've said this for the last eight years. I've said it a million times. It's always right to do right. There is never a time when it's not the right time to do the right thing. Esther chose to do the right thing. Esther chose to go in. Esther chose to listen to the influence of her uncle Mordecai. Esther chose to then use her influence to go stand in front of the court, to go stand in front of the king, to stand there in that courthouse and in, that, in the middle of the courtyard where the king would look over and had every opportunity and every right to kill her in that moment. But yet because God had showed favor on her, she moved forward. Listen, you may look at it and you might go, well, I don't have favor. I'm not that special. I'm not no Queen Esther. I'm not this and I'm not that. No, the reality is this. None of us really are. Esther really wasn't that special. She was a girl that had no parents. Mordecai really wasn't that cool and special. I'm not really that cool and special. The President of the United States is really not that cool and special. The king of whatever other country in our world isn't really that cool and special. We're people that God created to have a relationship with Him. Sinners. Some saved by the grace of God. Others do not know Him. But we're really not that special. Esther wasn't anything. God chose her for that time to be in that place. And she was willing to do what God it really put her there to do. Speak. And because she spoke, we come to this last point this morning that's very short. It's for such a time as this, God gets the victory. God is victorious. In the midst of all the things that happen, and again, I, I skipped over like two chapters But in the midst of all the things that happened, one of the greatest storylines of all history is written in Esther chapter 7, in verse number 10. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Isn't that awesome? Then was the king's wrath pacified. Haman had built this gallows that he was going to kill Mordecai on. And what ends up happening was through the influence of Esther going to the king, using the wisdom, using all of her favor that God had given to her because she was willing to speak up, God gets the victory. Listen this morning. 
I can't stress enough the sovereignty of God. I don't understand why God would use me or why God would use you in the life of somebody. I don't understand all of those things. And I don't say that as a derogatory of any other thing, but God is so good and God is so righteous and holy and just and God is all of those things. And then here I am, I, like, uh, you know, we're, we're, but yet God chose to use us. You know, there's been people in my life that in those moments, God chose to use me to speak specifically. And it may not have been salvation, but it was an encouragement that somebody needed. There's been people in this church like you that called me or texted me or saw me at the end of the, in the lobby or whatever and made a statement that God used you in a time when I needed you to encourage me with that exact word. We've all been there. Some of us have had the opportunity to share the gospel and lead somebody to the Lord. But regardless of any of our positions, the reality is this. When we are willing to stand and speak and do what God has placed us to do, right where God has placed us, God gets the victory. God is victorious. But sometimes I'm just too prideful. Sometimes I'm too comfortable. Just like the children of Israel were too comfortable to go back to Palestine. They didn't want to go back because it was easy right where they were. What did they say after crossing the Red Sea? Why can't we just stay in bondage? Right? Because why? It was easy for them right there. They didn't have to have faith in God. It was easy. This morning, Esther is a story that many of us know. A beautiful queen that God used. A beautiful woman that was bold and strong. Stood before a king knowing that her life could be taken. But yet, she did it. I, I say this this morning. In the title of this series of influence, Face It, You Have It, Now What? I would say, why not speak up? Live the life that God has called for us to live so that God can be victorious. Why not? This story is a really, really old story. Esther wasn't something that took place last month. It was written a long time ago. But when I look at that in chapter number 4, and I read that passage of Scripture there, in verse number 14, And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Listen, I don't know why God brought me to Las Vegas. 16 years ago, whatever it's been. I don't, I, I don't know. It makes zero sense to me. I was comfortable back home. But he did maybe for such a time as this. 
I, I don't know why God put you where he put you. But why not say, God, I, I don't understand it, but here I am, and I'm willing, and I'm available, and I'm able to go and do what you've called for me to do. There's a neighbor across the street. I need to love on him. There's a guy in the cubicle across the way. I need to love on him. There's whatever it is. Why not? For such a time as this, to do the right thing, to speak up, to live righteously, and say, God, here I am. I'm ready to go, and I'm ready to do that. I want to thank you again for joining us today. We pray that the service has been an encouragement and a blessing to you. Here at Oasis, we have a desire to walk alongside of you, to be a partner in your walk with the Lord. So if you have made any decision today, we would love to celebrate and pray with you. So can you please let us know by filling out a connect form or texting decision to the number provided below. Oasis is supported by faithful people like you. So if you have a desire to give to the ministry and mission of Oasis, you can text GIVE to the number provided below, click on the GIVE link, or mail in your gift to the church office. Lastly, we have a desire to pray for you. So if you have a prayer request, you can email us at prayer at oasislv.church. We just want to thank you again for joining us in worship. And as you head out into your new week, we pray that you will not forget that you have to live your life to the fullest and be an incredible influence for the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So be an influence and be a passionate follower of Christ.